My name is Patrick Hayes, and we're going to get started with a word of prayer. Lord, you are... Uh, Lord, we want to ask you to please forgive us of any place we've fallen short and sinned and help us, Lord, in this next day to do a better job and to do your will and, and not to do our own. And Lord, I want to thank you. And God, we want to ask for your hand of blessing upon all we do and say. I would ask that you please uh, speak through me. And Lord, give us all something that we can use. Went in for, well, I guess you'd call it heart surgery. I, I, I'm not it had to do with his heart. I'm not sure if that's what we'd call it, but Lord, please help him to heal, give him some rest and bring him some comfort and, uh, and, uh, and be with Sharon as, as her husband is just going through the ringer. Um, Lord, we ask you to be with, uh, Rick and Barb, um, just keep them safe and, uh, bring them back to us soon. We can't wait till the fall. So they'll be back with us, Lord. And, uh, and other than that, um, God, we just don't want to go through tonight by ourselves. We love you greatly, and in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we are in Acts chapter 26. So I want to cover a couple ideas before we go. First idea, and I just want to say this so I can be on record saying this. You guys can ask me any question whenever you want about any subject and I will answer it. Just understand you might not like the answer. I had that happen recently and some folks aren't coming here anymore because of my answer. And my answer was literally a direct quote out of the Bible. But I just want to make sure that you understand I'm happy to get into any subject. I'm happy to talk about any subject that we find in the Bible. Um, but none of us, if we go through this book cover to cover, are going to like everything. That so our job is to be an adult and be okay with the idea that something in here is different than how we live our lives and to keep on with God and hope and pray that God will change us over time to do his will instead of our own. Because <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to call anyone out specifically. Uh, when when I'm not on camera, I'll be happy to answer that question. So that's great. Okay, with that in Acts chapter 26, I didn't feel like there was really. Okay, one of the things every week is that there is at least one lesson that we can, like take home and apply to our lives. 
change and be more like God. Sometimes there's a chapter that comes up where I don't really feel like it's that easy to find one of those things. Tonight is one of those. So um, I might get off in the weeds to try to make a point because I was stretching to give you all your money's worth. So bear with me this evening. All right. So what we're going to read Acts chapter 26 verses 1 to 11, and then we will talk about it. So let's get to the book of Acts chapter 26 and follow along as I start reading and we'll see how we do. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews, especially because I know thee to be an expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation, at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning. If they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee, and now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise our 12 tribes instantly serving God day and night hope to come, for which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. All right. So the quick recap. Where is Paul right now? He is at court. Very good. Okay, so we went from uh, Jerusalem north to Caesarea. And Paul was in front of governor. Okay, started out with Felix. And then after Felix, um, who did Paul answer to and talk after that? Festus, very good. And then Festus called in King Agrippa. So remember, was uh, the governor of the area, then he up leaving or resigning and Festus came in and answering to him. Yes, Washington. Yes, Felix was a crooked politician. He liked accepting bribes. He all in lockdown how long? Two years. And now Paul is finally giving explanation of what he's being accused of. He's given and he's giving it not only to who was uh, Festus, but now he's giving it to King Agrippa. And pretty soon, Paul is going to be sent to Rome. 
Um, yes, Agrippa was the last of the Herods. And we went over the family tree of the how all of them tried to kill, uh, or at least four of them tried to kill uh, Jesus at different times. You okay? Okay. All right. So uh, Paul is about to give his explanation. We went over what, well, we won't get off in the week in that direction. All right. So Paul here in verses one through three is pleased that he is not dealing with a Roman, but with someone that knows the customs, the laws, the traditions of the Jews. Why does King Agrippa know these things? What is King Agrippa? What's that? He is an Edomite. Very good. And who are the Edomites? Moses. They are cousins. Of Anyone give me more of a specific family tree? Where did the Edomites come from? Very good. They did come from Edom. Wayne, well done. Okay. Who was called Edom? Esau. Very good. The brother of Jacob. Okay. So we're going all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau, Edom, and he became the leader and founder of the Edomites. So they were the sons of the Jews. So remember, when the Romans came in and they were putting people in charge, they put the Edomites in charge, who were quasi-Jews, how much did the Jews consider the Edomites Jewish? What percentage? Yeah, yeah none at all. They're like, yeah, that, that doesn't work. They're not like them. They didn't like the Edomites. Who was the other group that were quasi-half-Jews that the Jews hated? <laughs> yeah, the first generation of Christians. Well, that's the truth. You know, they, yeah, they were upon as, as friendlies. They're talked about in parables. Samaritans. Okay, so remember, the Samaritans ended up being, does anyone remember where the Samaritans came from? Wayne, you're batting a thousand here. Well, well done, Samaria. So the Samaritans, remember, when the, when the nation of Israel was split into two groups, the northern kingdom was taken away by the Assyrians, and they were mixed up, all different groups of people, and then they ended some of them came back and settled in Samaria. So they were half Jews, half whatevers. Again, how much did the Jews like them? Not at all. Okay, so when you're reading, when you're reading in the New Testament and Jesus is given a parable or the new, you know, the disciples are talking about someone, they didn't like the Romans, they didn't like the Samaritans, electors, even if they were Jewish, there are lots of groups that they didn't like. And then later didn't like the Christians. Okay. <laughs> Be on the good side of. Okay, so um, let's see. Good, good, good job, everybody. That's probably more history than we were planning on. So he's an Edomite. All right. Um, what was Paul? He explains it here. He was Jewish. Very good. Okay. What else was Paul? He was a Roman. He was from Tarshish. Uh, he was a Pharisee. Okay, good. He was a Jew. He was a Roman. And this is why 
jurisdiction that he's in. Because he's a Roman, he has the right to appeal his case, not just in the local Jewish court, but to Caesar. And that's what he... he He's saying, nope, I want to go to Caesar. So he's saying here that he was a Pharisee. So what does that tell us? What do we know about Pharisees? Well, whole no, they did not. I, I think that's probably a good, safe answer. One of them did, right, Paul? Okay, but yeah, so and keep So here's the here's the Venn diagram. All right. You have you have the Jews, you have the Christians, and you have some Jews that became Christians. As soon as they became Christians, what did the Jews consider them? No, they're never Gentiles. Uh, yeah, yeah, they, they considered them not Jewish. Okay, they were no longer welcome anywhere, all right? Calling Jesus the Messiah was, it was really, who said blasphemers? Uh, it was a capital crime. Because remember, we're not allowed to worship some guy and say he's God. Except one time in history when God came and was a man, and that was Jesus. And that was the problem that the Jews had. They said, it's not okay that you're calling this guy God. And it wasn't okay. Jesus said, I'm God. And they all, whenever that would happen in the New Testament, in the New Testament, what did all the Pharisees do? When Jesus said, I'm God, the Pharisees did the time. What's that? They did often do that. them to death and then jesus slips through the crowd or you know mysteriously gets away all right so with pharisees what else do we know about the beliefs of the pharisees they do believe in resurrection okay so this is an important one so the pharisees believe in the resurrection i'm pretty sure one of those letters needs to be doubled but that's okay so the the Pharisees believed in the resurrection. Who does not believe in the resurrection? Sadducees. And in this case, we see that Paul is in trouble by the Pharisees for believing in the resurrection. The Pharisees were about as strict as someone could get when it came to obeying the law and the prophets. And that Paul is explaining here in verses 4 and 5. He says, my manner of life from my youth, was, which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most str straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Bringing this up because they were mad that he broke the law and desecrated the temple. And Paul is saying, know me, I was raised a Jerusalem my whole life. You've all heard me teach. The way the Bible reads, Paul was not just a Pharisee. He was famous. He was famous in the land. We need to crush this new group, the Christians. They said, we need to put our best on it. Who did they go to? They went to Paul. And they said, you're going to crush this uprising. 
Christmas group of around the country and you're going to drag them out of their houses and you're going to beat them and you bring them back to Jerusalem. We're going to lock them up. And it goes over some other things that they did. So, and we're going to get into that. So Paul was famous. He was known and he's explaining, you guys all knew me and how strict I was in keeping uh, the law and the prophets. And his, he's using this as his defense to say, I didn't desecrate the temple. I didn't do anything wrong. Darren, jump in. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. You know what. Yeah. And that's why he was glad he wasn't giving this defense in front of a Roman who the Jewish religion, it, they're. Line. But King Agrippa and his whole family have been ruling in this area forever. Comes of the Jews. So, yeah. He, so Paul was exasperated. Okay, so Paul explains that he is accused of obeying the very law that the Jews say he is breaking, explaining this in verses 6 and 7. Now, what promise is Paul referring to in verse 6? Yes, it was the promised Savior. Remember that from the very beginning, we're taught that a Messiah is coming. Does anyone know the first mention of a Messiah in the Bible? Look at it. Go to chapter 1. Uh, now let's go to Genesis chapter three. So God made everything. God made Adam. God made Eve. They're in the garden. And then the serpent comes <clears throat> and the serpent talks. He's none too happy. And in chapter three of Genesis, verse 13, In verse, let's do it. Let's pick it up in verse 14. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon the belly thou shalt go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head. What is it? The seed of the woman, which ends up being the. Yep, the Messiah. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Okay, which is interesting. So when did the devil bruise the heel of the Messiah? At the cross. Okay. He thought that he was destroying, killing the Messiah. Hey, good to see you, buddy. How are you? Anyone else? But you don't drive. How'd you get here? 
<laughs> Good to have you, boss. <clears throat> okay, so the devil bruised the heel of the seed of the woman who you go down through the family tree, you go all the way down, right, from Eve. And Maya bruises the head of the serpent. Debate what that was. Anyone want to take a the bruising of the head? I think there's several correct answers, but I'm curious to hear what you guys have. Okay, so in Revelation, which is the final blow when he is cast into the lake of fire. So at the cross, we have the bruising of the hill, right? And then what happens 72 hours later? Okay, rose from the dead. <clears throat> that could be, okay, because he conquered death. Everybody, and there was a way for salvation. Um, I think there's lots of ways we could, you know, preach that, the, the head wound where the devil was, was destroyed. But ultimately, we know he is, uh, uh, he's cast into the lake of fire. So that is the first prophecy of the Messiah, the first futuristic prediction that a Messiah is coming, okay, that God is going to ruin the devil's day, the devil and all of the demons. So <clears throat> that talking about in verse 6. Now, I know that Grand Junction is not the hotbed of Judaism in, in the United States, but if you ever have a friend who is Jewish and you start talking to them, most of them still will say that the Messiah is coming. Some are completely atheistic and don't believe in God at all. And so but those that are adherent Jews are still waiting for the Messiah to come one day. That's so this promise that Paul was talking about is still a promise that a lot of Jews are uh, waiting for today. And when we go through the entire Old Testament, every feast day, every sacrifice, every major event in the entire Old Testament, who does that point to? Points to Jesus. So what the whole Old Testament was written about. It all points to the Messiah. Every time a big event happens, Jesus right in the middle. I have a wonderful sermon that you could preach right there. All right, so let's see. In verse... Oh, in verse 7, how many tribes does Paul say they're currently? 12. Which goes to the point that we made last week how uh, there are not 10 lost tribes. All 12 tribes are accounted for. God knows where they are. Paul's talking about how they are present there at that time um, in the New Testament. All right, and verse 8 is a rhetorical question uh, that Paul asks, uh, why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? Paul's asking a rhetorical question because... Uh, he's being accused of by the Pharisees, and all the Pharisees believed in the resurrection. All right, let's look at verses 9 and 10. Yeah. 
It's cutting out. Okay. Move this to here. Okay. We'll see how that works. I don't know what else we're going to do. Maybe it's the weather. Okay, verses 9 and 10. <clears throat> so here uh, we want to remember that Paul is accused of many things by the Jews. One of them is the teaching of a strange, quote, unbiblical doctrine about raising from the dead. And Paul reminds King Agrippa that he used to be against this Jesus of Nazareth, and he was responsible for jailing them and killing them. And that started, uh, I don't remember what chapter it was in the book of Acts, but it was with uh, Stephen. <clears throat> when the stoning of Stephen happened, that's when we first read about Saul, who later becomes Paul. All right, so here I want to get off into the weeds, so we'll see how this works. In verse 11, Paul talks about how he compelled them to blaspheme. What does Paul mean when he says that he used to compel them to blaspheme? Sorry, for I, who, who said it? Okay, whose belief? Okay, so Joe, what were you saying? And and they were, and and I want to show you this, and I want to show you how this was prevalent in the New Testament, and the Bible talks about this. So uh, compelling them to blaspheme. Darren, what'd you say again? Okay, they wanted people to renounce their belief in Jesus. Is that what you're saying? Okay, I agree. Now, <clears throat> let's take a look at this. Go to me, go with me to John chapter 9 and John story about Jesus is going to make more sense when we have that idea in our head uh, that, that uh, Darren just brought up, the idea that the Jews, specifically Paul, would try to get the Christians to renounce their belief in Jesus. They would put pressure on them to do so. I believe this pressure even came in the form of torture, but it started out as uh, social pressure. So let's look at John chapter 9, verses 19 through 22, okay? Follow along as I read here, and we'll go over this story. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son, who ye say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes? We know not. He is of age. Ask him. He shall speak for himself. So in John chapter 9, this story is about a blind man that received his sight from Jesus. Now, Jesus gave sight to several blind people during 
I don't know why. If I was Jesus, I would have just healed everybody. But believe me, there was a reason for it. It's a good thing to remember. Okay. So <clears throat> Jesus and his disciples rode and they saw a blind man. And the disciples said to Jesus, they said, who sinned? Was it this guy without sight or was it his parents? They had this idea that anytime someone was going through, it must have been their fault. Um, I'll get after them like, oh man, you're going through the ringer. You must have messed up. Get right with God and then come on back. And Jesus corrects them and he's like, no, nobody sinned. He didn't sin the didn't sin the guy was born blind okay the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous and the rain falls on the just and the unjust some things just happen now are people cursed for disobedience to god absolutely are people blessed for obedience to god absolutely your turn yep that all times you have good luck and okay and it was your turn for that so is trying to you know, correct this misunderstanding that the Jews had here. So then Jesus spits around, picks up the spit with some dust and makes some mud and some clay. Yeah, puts it on his eyes. And then after the guy go goes and dunks himself in the pool of Siloam, he can see. So uh, good job. Okay. Crowd form. For a small hit it on a Saturday. And if you're going to heal people, you need to do it between Sunday and that's it. I still can't get over the audacity of the Pharisees to complain. And it's just, yeah, it just blows, it blows me out of all the things they complained about that seemed off. It's like, buddy, how are you going to win? The, who is going to argue that side of the argument? Carlos, what you got? Oh, yeah. And in that story, so Carlos was asking, for those of you listening at home, you can't hear Carlos, so I'll do it. He was asking about, didn't Jesus got up and walked and took season? He's like, so what do you think? Is it okay if I heal this guy? It's Saturday. And nobody said a word. Want to answer? But it's okay. Get up and you know, pick up your bed and walk, or whatever he said. Jesus healed people on the Saturday, on the Sabbath day, often. Uh, but they were really mad. Okay, so the blind guy is seen walking around without. I don't know. I don't, stick that yeah cane or how they did it okay so he he no longer had the ray charles sunglasses on okay all tips are no longer um 
Uh, I Patrick. It's okay. They can't see me. Okay, it's on video. Uh, <clears throat> so they see, go up and they ask him. They're like, and he said, uh, "This guy Jesus." And they didn't get that answer. So then they're like, well, where is he? Did you see him? He's like, no, I was blind. I didn't see him, but now I can see. And that seemed to be what happened. They're like, get your parents out here. So then they asked the parents. They're like, was your son born blind? Yeah, he was born blind. Can he see now? And the parents are like, he's right here. And yes, he can see now. And they're like, who gave him his sight? Now the parents at that point, avoided the question because they didn't want to say that it was Jesus who gave them his sight. Why? What's that? Okay, that's right. They were going to get kicked out of the synagogue. Let's read verse 22. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. So it was already known publicly. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. He's old enough. <laughs> well, and he already said that it was Jesus, and he already said that Jesus was a prophet. He didn't care. Okay, understand that when you're Okay, if you're going to get kicked out of the synagogue, you're going to go walking out with fingers up in the air. You don't care. Okay, yeah, because <laughs> you just got, you don't care what these guys say. But under, do you understand that the majority does not act like the blind guy? The majority of Christianity acts like the parents. Okay? So, at that time, it was already agreed upon publicly. Acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. If you believe that he is a prophet, that he is the Savior, you're going to get kicked out of the synagogue. Now, what did the Jews at that time? It was major. You were shunned. That was, you have to remember, the and I'm going to give you a story here, present day story, to kind of give you a little bit of this idea. But so Darren was uh, um, and a lot of folks that that were raised LDS. the cops, the firemen, whoever you work for, whoever your wife works for, the teachers of your kids in school, your entire community. You're an everybody. So the idea that you would come up to this and I'm going this way instead. 
See, most of us can't understand that because most of us don't grow up in that type of area with those type of social pressures. In Israel, you got to remember, there was no one but Jews. That's who lived in Israel. No, no one else lived there. So if you were kicked out of the synagogue, that was your local area where you met with all your friends every Saturday and you, you prayed to God and your kids went there and studied. <clears throat> For you to be kicked out was a devastating massive on your life and the life of your whole family. It was nothing that anyone wanted to go through. Now, I believe this is what Paul was talking about in verse 11. Threats were made to people who believed that Jesus Messiah, they would be kicked out of their synagogue. Now, are you ready for this? This stuff still happens today. So here, I'm going to read you two stories. <clears throat> Shauna Yaffe, born a Jew, celebrated what should have been one of the happiest days of her life. Her parents went into mourning. On August 23rd, Shauna married a Gentile. A few days later, her parents placed their daughter's obituary in the weekly Jewish Post newspaper, requesting that no condolences be sent or memorials be made. The Yafe parents had disowned their daughter. Now, I'm going to read you a slightly longer one because I want you to end this idea and the seriousness of it for the time especially but even this is this is recent again Jewish father here in America uh, he was answering the question will Jews really disown their own children for marrying a non-Jew and I quote yes some will really allow me to explain what we are talking about here Jewish existence Will Judaism continue or will it end? Jews being raised as Jews, marrying Jews, and having Jewish babies, which they in turn will raise as Jews. We are not going to allow assimilation and intermarriage to accomplish what Hitler tried and came very close to accomplishing, to destroy every Jew from this earth. You see, this matters. I dated two women in my life, both Jewish. I got married to the second one, and almost 30 years later, we are still very married and still very Jewish. We have raised two bright daughters in an observant Jewish home. We keep kosher. We only dine out at kosher restaurants and travel with a cooler in the trunk of the car. They were raised with strong Jewish values, regular synagogue attendance, charity, service to others, the whole nine yards. We sacrificed to educate them in Jewish day schools from nursery to the end of high school with apologies to no one. I have made them clearly understand their responsibilities to themselves, to us, and to our family. They have unfortunately witnessed in several instances the extreme discord and the specific heartache that marrying out of our faith represents. There is no misunderstanding as to our, expect our expectations and their responsibilities. You speak of disowning kids or sh sitting shiva if they marry out of the faith. It is far worse than this. Does anyone know what sh sitting shiva means? Okay, at, a, at, a, at a Jewish funeral, what's that? 
at a Jewish funeral, there is a period of time, multiple days, I think it's seven days, where you would sit Shiva and there would be like what we have is will come and pay their condolences and and I mean there was everyone brought food and you spend the day there and you you're with the well in the Jewish Shiva, you would cover all the mirrors, you would have the family all and people would come and they would all go through that they would so that's that's that so uh, he says let me give you an example I had a brother my only sibling his second marriage he chose to marry out of our faith he got sick and as a result he died recently far too young it happens but he was cremated Apparently, his choice with her specifically, not willing to intercede or even entertain the idea to ensure a Jewish burial and adhere to our laws and customs. Do we all understand that cremation is uh, anti-Bible? Okay, the Jews absolutely never cremated anyone. It's a pagan ritual. The pagans would burn people. What would the Jews do? Bury. Every single Jewish person that dies in the Bible, you find every single one was buried, hundred percent of the time. So it's a very and it's a very serious uh, um, uh, belief for them. So no funeral, no shiva, no kaddish, nothing like he never ever existed. And worse, he won't be part of a resurrection when the Messiah comes. See, they still believe in the Messiah that they're waiting for. And they believe that cremation will be a nullification of the ability to raise at the resurrection. That's, that's his belief. I had a brother. I no longer have one, and I will never have one again, ever. Yes, this runs deep. Because of this, I watched my own mother not only get upset, she changed her will. And the ramifications are very serious. Lives have been changed. Our daughters well know and fully understand that if they make a decision to marry out of our faith, that I will not attend their wedding. And yes, you can extrapolate what else this means. They get it. Our youngest is in university. She has, thank God, a Jewish boyfriend. We know the parents, we have met him, and we are delighted and approve of him, and we encourage their relationship. The two of them attend services together away at university. You know what that is? That is cool. They know who they can bring to our home, and they know who not to bring to our home. I have good friends, not Jewish. When they ask about our children, I mentioned that our youngest had a boyfriend she met in university. First question was, is he Jewish? And this is from non-Jewish friends. Yes, it is a big deal, an existential big deal. Some things I bend on, this one is not one of them. This is not about being embarrassed in front of family or friends. It is all it is for all the marbles. Does Judaism continue or does it end? Well, not on my watch. It is not going to end. I was born a Jew. I have raised Jewish children. And one day, hopefully not too soon, I will die a Jew. And around my gravesite, as I am lowered into the ground, will be Jewish children and please God, Jewish grandchildren who might even miss me. But they will know I did my job on this earth as my forebearers did for me. Now, I say all that to say this, our culture today in America might not 
make it our culture today in America might make it difficult for us to understand what the Jews in Israel were up against. If they believed Jesus was the Messiah, they dealt with a much tougher reality than any of us do. Okay, there were serious consequences. Being kicked out of the synagogue meant you were a pariah in your community. Carlos. It, it might be. I don't doubt it. What would happen if you married outside of <laughs> So here what is this a picture of I'm not an artist Yoke. <laughs> Sorry, like I said, I'm not I'm not an artist. In the yoke, you would put what will let me ask you, what would you put in the yoke? How many? And what was important about the oxen you chose to put in the yoke? Had to be similar. Similar to a point where if they were not, it would mess up everything they did. Who gave us this idea? Okay. Yeah, the Lord did. We in the New Testament many times. And we are told not with unbelievers. The Jews, let's go to you can follow me here if you like. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, as far as that take it that serious, Okay, so how about this? If you meet a Jewish man who's hat with a brim, yeah. community, one who's a Hasidic Jew. Um, I have uh, one Jewish friend here in town whose family is not like happy to have grandkids. When I went out and visited some friends on Long Island, I don't remember what town it was because I was, I don't know, 18 years old. And, but he was Jewish and everybody, uh, a Friday, 
and got there. So all of them, sun goes down. It was the summertime. So for them, that's Arab Shabbat. It's the evening that starts the Sabbath. And every single house we went to, the whole family was there and they were all in the backyard because it was a nice night and someone was playing an instrument and they were all singing songs and everywhere we went, there was food and they were all trying to give us a glass of wine and, and welcoming us in. And it was like, I mean, everywhere I could, it was nothing but. And I guarantee those folks, you better, you know, toe the line. What's going to happen is you're going to move away from that community if you're going to split off because it's not going to be accepted that you bring someone else in. I've also met plenty of Jews that are atheists and they, you know, they, I mean, they, you know, they just, it's like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm from, and they're not even like a first generation or second generation from Israel, you know, but their parents or grandparents might've believed like this, but that's it. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, you know, my mom, um, you know, prop her parents, you know, probably would have had a heart attack if you married too far outside of being Irish. You know, it wasn't that long ago. And where my mom grew up in, in Brooklyn, there were areas in the major cities where, you know, this is where the Irish are. And that's where the Italians are. And that's where the Koreans are. And this is where the Polish are. And that was it. Like you went to school with them and you with them. And, but other than that, they had their own schools. You know, they totally separate. Okay. Now, so percentage believe like this, I couldn't even guess, you know. Um, but there are still plenty that take it very seriously. Okay, do I think it's going or falling away? This. There is a group, I, I can't remember the name, of it, but it's a group of uh, young people who are Jewish, who started a trend going around to different Jewish communities, all the Jews to learn how to be more Jewish. And it was wildly accepted and welcomed everywhere they went. And it was because lots of groups were getting busy with life and were slowly drifting away from the traditions that they had grown up with. So you find a lot of groups that are moving back. Identity is back in that. And you're finding other groups that, you know, the, the, the feast days are a reason to have a party and that's it, sure. you know, and, and that's kind of it, but you find the same thing with plenty of Christians. You know, I think it's fair to say you find it with every group. Like we talked about the difference, the only group in the history of the world that are both a nation and a religion it's the only one. There are plenty of nations that have adopted religions, but this is the only group where when you are born, you are, you, your religion is set for you and your nationality is set for you. 
And you have to remember, and I'm going to read in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. This is not up there. This is just extra. Before the Jews went into the then another pep talk by Moses, by Joshua. And Moses tells them, shalt thou make marriages with them, talking about the pagan nation the river, neither shalt thou make marriages with them, thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son, for they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods, so will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. So the whole reason for it was... That was the whole idea. And the analogy is simple. You have to have two crazy thing. It's not even, and you could preach this many ways, we don't even have to be talking about different animals. Two oxen but they have to be the same size and shape. They have to be relatively equal. So both going in the same direction. Every Christian I've ever met in my life that has married a non-believer will tell you it would have been easier if we believed the same. And everyone that married a non-believer and got divorced, will absolutely tell you that. It caused problems. Because I have these convictions and beliefs that I feel are important. told me to do these things and believe these things, and I have another one in my life that is pulling in another direction. And then sooner or later, you get married. What comes along? You got kids. And then what do you do? Okay, it's a mess. That's why the important. I am not okay with my marrying a girl. That's not. I'm introducing her to me because the talk is going to be this is not the one. This is a mistake. The Jews. He says, they will turn away thy son from following me. That's what God said to the Jews before they went into the nation of Israel. And what did they do? We read about it over and over and over again in the Bible, how they would marry the Canaanite women and they would turn their hearts. And the girls would marry the Canaanite men and they would turn their hearts. And it was all. Issue. And it is an important one. Next to choosing the most important decision a young man or a young woman will make in their entire life, marry. More than what they do for work, more than where they live, more than anything, that will dictate how your life will go. Carlos.
Yep. I tell everyone, pray to God and wait. Because believe me, a Christian marriage <clears throat> that you wait for and a pagan divorce that you have after a couple years. And I'm not saying that people can't be happy and love each other and have a wonderful marriage. What I'm saying is... someone keeps pulling them off in this direction. You're just going to get worn out. It's tiring. Absolutely. There's a chance. It's so rare. <laughs> uh-huh. Get me a stool. Faster. Moses. Stool. <laughs> Climb up on it. <laughs> Stand on it. Is it going to, can up to God. All and bring them down. That's the problem. Okay, good. It is so difficult that God never even writes about it. The only thing he ever warns is that the pagan will pull astray the Christian or the Jew. Oh, yeah. Now, uh, now I do know folks, uh, one of my uh, uh, dear friends that I used to go to church with, uh, the husband was not, He talked to him about it and said, this is important to me. And he started going to church and he got saved and they're married and the kids and they're doing great. But her idea was if he's not willing to come to church with me and, you know, he's not going to get saved, then we're going to have to break this off because I know that God in my life is more important than 
So let's finish up just a few more verses, make a point, and we'll get out of here. Okay, let's go to Luke chapter 14, verses 26 and 27. Forgive me. Everyone okay? We go a few minutes over. I don't want to leave this. Okay, I know. Okay, Jesus says, if any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, what is this verse talking about? What does Jesus mean when he talks about hating father, mother, wife, and children in order to be his disciple? Okay, putting God above everything. Now, let me ask you all, does anyone believe that Jesus is commanding us to hate our family? No, clearly not. Uh, that is in direct violation of the fifth commandment, to honor your father and mother. What this is, this is an example of Jesus using hyperbole. He's trying to illustrate a point. He's trying to illustrate the steep cost of following him. For the children in the room and those that might be watching at home, hyperbole are exaggerated statements not intended to be taken literally, but used to make a point. Jesus does not actually want us to hate our father and mother. He's saying that there is a steep following him. We need to put him above all of them. In Matthew 10, starting in verse 34, actually, we'll go down to verse 38. And he that taketh not his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. What does Jesus mean when he says you must take up your cross and follow me? Correct. Okay, Jesus is saying there is a very serious cost. Believe that with salvation come great responsibilities. Taking up my cross is an example of the level of commitment that Jesus requires of me. Now, to put this in perspective, high, high, high calling for the Christian. We are supposed to take our Christianity, other relationship we have, and more seriously than any other part of what was God willing to give up? for us his son what was jesus willing to do for us yeah not only die die a horrifically gruesome death so if being a christian is easy and convenient for you if your beliefs don't make people in this world uncomfortable you're doing it wrong it's not supposed to be comfortable and easy. Now, I love getting along with people. You all know that I go out of my way to never anything that could upset or bring strife. <laughs> Not from the pulpit. The pulpit's different. This is preaching. 
Okay, I just say what the Bible says. <clears throat> We're not saying to be a jerk. That's not the goal. I want a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bumper sticker. What we're saying is that if you live a Christian life, then there's going to be opposition. There's going to be uncomfortability. Now, <clears throat> that's not my opinion. That is what Jesus tells us. In John 15, 19, he says, If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Now, listen up, and this is going to sting, but this is the point that we can all bring home with us and chew on till next week. One of the main reasons Christians don't want to act like Christians or obey the Bible is because they want to fit in with society. Nobody likes feeling weird and different. Nobody does. That's natural. I understand that. We want to fit in with those around us. We want to be accepted by the world. But we are commanded to be different. When the Jews finally said, God, we've had enough of you are judged. We're, we've had enough of these judges and prophets. We just want a king. What was their reasoning? They said it could be all the other nations around us. Do you know why the Jews were constantly pulled? Was it constantly reminded them of how different they were? God said, this is how you have to eat. This is how you have to worship. This is how you have to dress. This is how you have to pray. This is how you have to conduct business. This is how you have to conduct your family. This is how you have to celebrate your holidays. This, everything, every facet of their life was dictated by God. Now, we know, looking back, that for that was that God was a loving father who wanted the best for his children, and he knew what that was. Tired of it. And they just wanted a break, and they just wanted to be like everybody else. Consistent, constant effort to obey this book. All you have to do is relax and have a attitude of apathy to fit in with the rest of the world. You all know that my beliefs about everything oftentimes on the are here. Do you know how many invited to? None. I would ruin the enjoy all the beliefs that I hold to. I hold to them not because they help me fit in with the world. I hold to them because that they're not comfortable or convenient. Just 
my opinion. Unless they just like getting me riled up for the sake of entertainment, which I understand. If I was having a cocktail party, I would invite Patrick and start lobbing questions at him. That would be entertaining. But understand, for the average Christian, we just get tired. Up, and we say, eh, it probably doesn't matter. We start and off. That's the reason that it's hard to get the pagan to come get in. That's why being equally yoked is so important. Carlos, last one and we're done. Is it a question? It's an anecdote. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yep. When, when the 12 families went down to Egypt, why was the Egyptian king okay with all 12 of these families coming down and taking over this portion of land, the best portion of land in Egypt? Why was he okay with it? Mac? Joseph was second in command, but they brought down the shepherds, okay, two strikes against them, and they gave them the best piece of land in all of Egypt. Why were the Egyptians okay with that? No. They. Yeah, it, well, it said it was well water, you know. Well, I don't know the real estate back in the time of, of Joseph. But thank you for thank you for avoiding the larger point. <laughs> okay. Why were the Egyptians okay with them coming down, Washington? Because the Egyptians thought that after a generation or two, they would all marry and mingle, and there would no longer be Jews that were separated in this little. Several generations later, and a hundred years later, the Israelites grew and grew and grew, and they didn't mingle at all. They that's how they grew. The Egyptians thought that they would mix in like everybody else, and it won't matter in a couple years. What's that? Well, when Joseph got married, there, there were no Jewish women to pick from, Nick. There, <laughs> he was the only guy. <laughs> no, doesn't say that he was forced to marry. He was actually given a uh, daughter of, who was it? Was it a daughter? I thought. I got to look it up. I thought it was like a daughter of Pharaoh or something. I don't think so. It was considered an honor. But keep in mind, Joseph, it's not like Joseph had a pool of, you know, nice Jewish girls to pick from to marry, you know, so no. And also, 
now this is we're getting into the weeds here again one thing that's neat is that means that his two children were what they were half jewish half gentile and they were still accepted in as part of the 12 tribes almost like it was predicting the future that the gentiles would be yeah and that interesting Word of prayer and we'll be done. What's that? I don't want any more questions about real estate, Nick. Hey. Darren, pray for us, brother. Amen. Half after of 26. So we know what we're talking about next week. And I didn't even, I didn't even finish what my point I was trying to make. It's okay. What are you asking me if we're ready to end it?